This service is a Monday Thursday service. And I remember when I first heard the term Mondi, I had no idea what it meant. Did you know what the term Mondi means? If you do, raise your hand. If you don't, that's fine. Mondi Thursday. I was inquisitive. I wanted to know why we call it Monday Thursday. Um, Monday comes from a Latin word, mandatum. Uh, it means, it's where we get our English word mandate. It means commandment, law, instruction. It refers to the time when Jesus was giving a new commandment, a new mandate to his disciples when he had his last conversation. It's called the last discourse in John's gospel. So we're going to take a look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Monday, mandate, commandment. It's a reference to Jesus' commandment, new commandment to his disciples before he was going to depart the earth and go to the Father. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. A new commandment, a new mandate I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Obviously, Jesus is emphasizing love. And he says that the world will know that you are my followers, that you're my sheep, by how you love one another within the body, within the, within the church. That's how they're going to know. And he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. So that begs the question, how did Jesus love us? How does, what does Jesus mean when he says, I have loved you, so I want you to love each other in the same way. What does that mean, to love each other as Christ has loved us? I think this is uh, in the context, as I said, Jesus' final words before he's going to depart the world, and he knows it. And right before he says this, Jesus gave a demonstration of what his love was like, and that's in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. This is the passage where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he's sharing a meal with them, and he's going to wash their feet. He's going to express his love to them by washing their feet. And by doing so, this is the example he wants his disciples to follow. And so what do we learn about Jesus' love in this passage? And so we're just going to run through this passage quickly and discover some things about Jesus' love. Remember that this is Jesus' action right before he's going to leave. So this is something he wants these disciples to remember. The first thing we're going to notice about Jesus' love in this passage is that his love was expressed in selfless, humble service, verses 1 to 5. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, 
having loved his own, referring to his disciples, who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the uttermost. Well, how did he love them to the end? And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, and Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself as if like a slave. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so we see Jesus, the disciples are either in the midst of having a meal or they're just finished this meal. Okay? And get this in your mind. When they're eating, they're not sitting down at a table like we would. They're going to be at a reclining uh, at, a, at a very uh, low-lying table. And they most likely would have been uh, reclining and leaning on their left arm, and they would have been eating with their right hand. Their feet would have been extended backwards. And so they're, they're reclining, all the disciples, and they're eating with their right hand. And in the midst of doing that, Jesus gets up and just puts a towel around his waist. He adorns himself as a slave, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And washing someone's feet was something that you would never, ever do, even as a Jewish slave. It was a menial task, right? Washing someone's feet. It required no skill, and it was very, it had no prestige to it at all. And they, he starts to wash their feet, and they're shocked by this, okay? And so we see by the fact that he's willing to wash their feet and girding himself with a towel, he's expressing himself in a very humble, uh, lowly way. This was an act that Jewish slaves would not even do, only Gentile slaves. Uh, and Jews did not want to do this. They would not wash each other's feet, the disciples would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet, but to have a someone of superior status like Jesus as a rabbi to wash their feet was unfathomable. But what I want you to notice is that when does he do this? What's the context of which, by which he begins to wash their feet? It says something at the beginning of this passage. It says when Satan had inspired Judas to betray Jesus, and Jesus had knew, he had known that he was from God, and he was going back to God, and that all a power was given to him. Think about that. Jesus, knowing that he was going to be betrayed by someone within the group, and also had the power to stop it from happening, You would think that he would do that. If he had the power to stop someone from hurting him by means of betrayal, he had the means and the power to stop it from happening. But he doesn't. 
I know if it was me and I know someone's going to hurt me and I have all power to stop that from happening, do you think I would use my power to try to keep someone from betraying me and hurting me? I most certainly would. Jesus knows that. He possesses the power to either judge Satan or judge Judas right there on the spot, and he doesn't do it. Instead of judging them, he's going to wash their feet, including Judas. Why does that matter? It's showing the extent of God's love that he's willing to humble himself as a servant, as a menial, uh, worthless in the eyes of that culture, occupation, and wash the feet of even the one who is going to betray him. Amazing that Jesus Christ would do that. And that's the point of showing us that. That Jesus' love was so great and so extensive that he had the power to stop all of that from happening because he knew it was going to happen, and yet he didn't. And says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lower myself, and I'm going to dress up as a servant, as a slave, even beneath a slave, and I'm going to serve you by washing your feet. Jesus' love was expressed in selfless, humble service. It's remarkable to think that Jesus' love is being expressed in this way. But that's what we learn about Jesus' love in this passage, is that it was expressed in selfless, humble service. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He does it here symbolically through the foot washing. But he's also going to do it in another way, as we'll see in a moment. Also notice that Jesus said in Matthew, we ought to love your enemies. And here we see Jesus doing that very thing by showing love, washing Judas' feet, his enemy. It's a concrete example of Jesus' words. He's putting his own words into action. Jesus' love was expressed in selfless, humble service as he begins to wash the feet of those around him, those whom he created. Secondly, Jesus' expression of love must be accepted in order for one to be cleansed. Jesus' expression of love must be accepted in order for one to be cleansed. Verses 6 to 11. Then he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Peter is indignant. How in the world is Jesus washing my feet? What's he doing? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. He, wants not, he does not want Jesus doing what he's doing. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What does that mean? 
when, Peter, when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. The notion of having a part in something is regularly used with respect to inheritance. And in Jewish thought can refer to end time blessing. Think of the Old Testament. When the Jewish people were going to go into the promised land, they were to get a part of the land, an inheritance. Jesus is saying, if you don't let me wash you, you will have no part with me. In other words, you're not going to have any eternal fellowship with me if you do not allow me to wash you. What's going on here is that the foot washing, as scandalous as that may have been to Peter as Peter was washing his feet, that was something appalling how someone, there has been no writing in Greco-Roman literature or in Jewish literature of someone of superior status washing the feet of someone of inferior status. This is the only record of it. So the fact that Jesus is doing this is doing something so countercultural. That Peter is, he's beside himself that Jesus would do something like this. But there's something going on here beyond simply foot washing. Jesus is doing something that is symbolic of his work of service on behalf of humanity because this event, the foot washing, is foreshadowing his work on the cross, which is also scandalous. As people in, in, in Jesus' day, as his disciples were appalled that Jesus would dare lower himself in order to serve them by washing the feet of the disciples, so in the same way, people are appalled that God would send his own son to die a humiliating death on the cross and think that would be the means by which God would reconcile human beings to himself. They're both scandalous. They're both appalling. And Jesus is saying to Peter, if you don't allow me to wash you and you don't accept my love for you, my expression of my love for you as I wash your feet, which is symbolic of my death on the cross on your behalf, which is an expression of God's love, Jesus on the cross is an expression of God's love to humanity. And if people don't accept God's love when Jesus humbled himself to die on that cross, we're rejecting the love of God. And if we reject God's love in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, then the means by which we are cleansed of our sin will not happen. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The physical foot washing is symbolic of the spiritual cleansing that God will accomplish as he serves humanity going to the cross on their behalf. And so he says, Peter, if you don't allow me and allow me to express my love for you on that cross, then your sin will never be wiped away clean. That's what's going on here. Do you see it? Now, Peter may not have understood that. All he understood was that he wanted to be associated and forever linked with Jesus. And so Peter, being exuberant and being uh, the impulsive character that he is, what does he do? In verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. <laughs> Don't stop then. 
not truly understanding the significance of his own words. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Jesus corrects him. And what Jesus is doing, he's, he, he's referring to when Peter says, well, then wash my whole body, in essence. Jesus then corrects him and says, look, if you allow me to express my love to you on that cross and you accept it, then you are going to be fundamentally clean because your, my death on that cross is going to fundamentally remove your sin forever. It's a one-time act, right? And so in his day, in Peter's day, what happened, what would happen is if you were invited to a banquet, uh, oftentimes people would wash their whole bodies and they would take a bath and then they would go to the banquet. But when you arrived at the banquet, all you would need to do is wash your feet because you would travel, you wore sandals, your feet would get dirty. And when you arrived at the place where there was a banquet, it was a sign of hospitality. There'd be, especially if you were a high class, you would have servants there and they would wash your feet. Jesus is saying, in essence, spiritually, he's saying this, if you have accepted my love for you on that cross, you're going to be permanently clean, one time forever. You won't need another bath. But you may need subsequential washings of your feet because after you're a believer, you may stumble and you're going to sin. But you don't need a whole washing. You just need to feet, your feet washed. You see what the, the author here has kind of changed topics here a little bit. But you see, this is what Jesus is doing. His love is being expressed in humble service, but not only in symbolic in the foot washing, but it's representative of his spiritual work on behalf of humanity on the cross. And it needs to be accepted if people are going to be made clean. Peter needed to learn that. And there are many people today unfortunately, who are turning their back on the love of God that is expressed with Jesus on the cross because they can't fathom that God would do something so, so grotesque in their minds. It's the same response of Peter when he says, don't wash my feet, because he was disgusted by the fact, appalled by the fact that Jesus would do such a thing. But that's the nature of God, isn't it? It was seen in Jesus' foot washing, and it's also going to be seen later on as he goes to the cross for the sake of humanity. Jesus' expression of love must be accepted in order for one to be cleansed. The author of 1 John, verses 8 and 9, puts it this way. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the fundamental cleansing that one is washed with when they, when they receive God's love in the person of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. They're forgiven, done. But a Christian may sin afterwards, right? So the author then says in 1 John 2, 1, he says this, my little children, these things I write to you. Why? So that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And in that verse, the author is simply saying, I know there are going to be believers who are going to be 
upset that they have stumbled after they've received Christ as their Savior, and they may be hard on themselves. But I want you to remember, you may stumble. You just have to have your feet washed. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here we see in those two passages the fundamental cleansing, the once-for-all cleansing that Jesus provides through his death on the cross, and then the subsequent cleansing that takes place that believers must continue to wash when we stumble in sin after we have received and accepted God's love in the person of Jesus Christ and his accomplished work on that cross. That's what's going on here. Jesus' expression of love must be accepted in order for one to be cleansed. And thirdly, Jesus' expression of love must be imitated by his followers. Verses 12 to 17. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? No, they didn't. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. An example. Jesus' example of foot washing was not meant to be a ritual that was supposed to be practiced by Christians from centuries on, on, and on. The point was that Jesus Christ's love is seen in humble, selfless humility. And he wants his people to do the same. For if we are in Christ, then Christ-like love should be within us as well. And it should be manifested in service. The sign right above that large doorway, when you go into the, the entryway there, it says, worship ends, our service begins. Right? Worship, when worship ends, our service begins. Because true worship will lead to service. And if the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, then the result of that love should express itself in the same way as it was manifest in the one in whom we worship. Amen? And once again, this is mentioned right before Jesus Christ is going to leave and go to the Father. I can almost guarantee you I say this with humility, that this event stuck in their minds after Jesus was gone. Oftentimes, the things that we remember most about someone is the last experience that we have with them and the last things that were said. The fact that Jesus does this during his final discourse before he leaves the earth is to leave an impression on their minds after they're gone. He wants them to remember this so that they would do it because it was a mark of discipleship and the whole world will know that they're his disciples when they do what he did. While attending a pastor by the name of Mike Hearn, while attending Moody Graduate School in Chicago, campus housing, he says, was not available for my wife and me, so we ended up renting an apartment right around the corner on fashionable Oak Street, 
One morning, I noticed Shu, the local shoeshine man. Shu is S-H-O-O, that was his name. Like a barker at a carnival, he would offer to shine the shoes for a donation of bustling passerbys during the early morning rush. On that particular day, however, a stretch limo pulled up in front of Shu, and out of the vehicle stepped a gentleman who was dressed like a cover model for GQ magazine. Rather than asking for a shoe shine, he sat Shu down and polished his scuffed and tattered shoes. When finished, he handed, he handed Shu a tip, a $100 bill, and then returned to his waiting vehicle, never saying a word. Mike Hearn, the pastor, says, when I returned home that evening, my wife asked how my day at school had gone. I explained that on my way to class to learn about Jesus, I saw someone who acted a whole lot like Jesus. To this day, he says, I cannot remember what I learned in my theology classes that particular day, but it is hard to forget the lesson I learned at the corner of Oak and Rush from Shu and the man who acted like Jesus. He remembered this man, this pastor, Mike Hearn. He remembered the, the example of Christ-like love by this GQ walking out of the, getting out of the limo and doing a humble service that was basically surprising to see. It stuck with him. And that's the point. Jesus did what he did because he wanted this impressed in their minds and we see that when we do acts of love and service with humility, people will, for, will not forget that. People will forget sermons that are preached, but they will not forget the love that we demonstrate to each other out of humility and genuine concern for the other. People will not forget that. In fact, the more humble it is, the more likely people are going to remember the act. They'll never forget it. It's embedded and ingrained in their mind. And that's why Jesus does this before he leaves. The foot washing is simply a symbol and representation of Christ's great humility as he goes to the cross and demonstrates his humble service to humankind as he goes to that cross and dies for you and me. That's what his love has done. And we are forever grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper had ended, had ended, he also took the cup. And he blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for all men and women, that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord Jesus till he comes. The bread that we break, is it not a participation 
in the body of Jesus Christ. The cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Remember Jesus and his love for you. The love that was expressed on that cross that makes you and I eternally clean forever. I'm going to pass the elements around. I'll simply ask that you just hold on to the elements and we will partake of them together. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ that has been broken for you and for me. Let us partake together. Brothers and sisters, this is the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for you and for me so that our sins will be washed away forever. Let us drink together. Would you please pray with me? A gracious Father, we thank you for this experience of sharing the meal together. It is a right by which we express our solidarity with one another and our unity with you. We thank you, Lord, for your willingness to humble yourself to come into this world and take the form of a bondservant, even to the point of death. For this is the means by which you drew us to you. This was your plan from the beginning, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Lord, we ask that you would help us to model the kind of love that you demonstrated to your disciples and that you have commanded us to do the same. Help us, give us strength, be gracious to us, and empower us by your Spirit so that the world will know that we are your disciples because of the way we love each other. It's all because of you, Lord Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts for Sunday service and the grand celebration of your rising from the dead, being victorious over death in the grave. We are grateful and we give you praise for the sacrifice that you have offered on our behalf. May all glory and honor and power and majesty and might be yours and yours alone, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. They will know we are Christians by our love. And we express that love because that love was first expressed to us by the one whom we worship. May you experience his love for the rest of the week. And may our hearts and minds be focused and overjoyed by the fact that the one whom we love has defeated death. And that's a place where not, none of us will remain because of Christ and his love for us. Praise God. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. 
Amen. And go in peace.